to the book of Acts again. I'll be speaking out of Acts for the next month. To continue where I left off, I left off finishing the chapter 11. I will go to chapter 12. And before I go into it, we have to realize, you know, when you're reading the book of Acts, uh, it's hard to take a some stories individually. It's better to read the whole chapter. I'm going to do the whole chapter today, explain the chapter the best I can. Lean on application to our personal life and maybe some contemporary life of what's going on today. So as we read, you're going to go through a story that has... Uh, miraculous angelic visitations, we're going to have a man dying filled with worms, you're going to come across stories, but understand something, it's not there for, for, for novelty, it's there to highlight one truth, it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything we are going to read today, as a matter of fact the whole book of Acts, it is about that message of eternal life that came through Christ and should be living in the church, should be lived in our lives. So as we read this story, understand when we get to verse 24, that is the theme of the book of Acts. The word of God continued to grow. So let's start off in verse 1, chapter 12. I'll read the verse 24. I'm going to have a drink of water. And you can't do nothing about it. I'm the preacher. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out, of, out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did and he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done was by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting, no, it is so. And they kept on saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. 
Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because his country depended on the king's country for food. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of man! Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the most important thing is that the word of God increased and multiplied. I pray that no man and woman in this room leaves here today not knowing the importance that no matter what, the gates of hell, hell shall never prevail against the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what man a nation, or Satan and demons throw at us, the gospel of Jesus Christ will always continue to grow and prevail in Jesus' name. Amen. I start with verse 24 before because that is the most important thing when we're going into a text. If we don't know that about the book of Acts, if we don't know that about this chapter, or like I said, the whole book, if we don't know it is about the increasing word of God under all circumstances. I mean, this is Peter was about to be put to death. James was going to be put to death. Again, the gospel and the whole kingdom of God should end. Just like it ended with Jesus in the grave, but little did they know there was a resurrection coming. You cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ from accomplishing that which God has sent it. That is the meaning of this chapter. That is the meaning of the book of Acts. Period. Anytime we're reading the book of Acts, anytime someone's preaching out of the book of Acts, if they are not continually going back to the main theme that the word of God continue to grow, they're getting offline. It's a slippery slope. It's not a book you go into and cherry pick a verse and cherry pick a chapter and cherry pick this and then teach on that. It is not there, the book of Acts, to wow us about being filled with the Spirit. It's not there to wow us about speaking in tongues. It's not there to wow us about miracles. It's not there to wow us about the prophets. It's there for one purpose. Luke is writing the gospel of Jesus Christ as a sequence to what he did in Luke when he said that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and told him to go make disciples, spreading the gospel to the whole world. The book of Acts is the sequel to that. Guess what? It has. And guess whose ears it reached? Ours. Do you take it for granted that you're praising and worshiping Christ today? Do you think all of a sudden it just, it just came here one day? Do you know it came here because other people died for the word of God? That is the most important thing, the word of God. People died for the word of God. We forget that. Don't ever forget that. The early 1500s, the Protestant Reformation was sweeping through Europe. 
Tens of thousands were coming out of the darkness of Roman Catholicism. Jesus and salvation by grace through faith was on everybody's lips. Whole towns and villages were coming to Christ. The traditional Catholic church with its altar for the mass. The townspeople were going in by the dozens, and they were ripping out the confessionals. They were ripping out the stained glass. They were ripping out everything that put a distraction between Christ and the people. They were cleansing the churches. And what was put in place was two things. The Protestant pulpit and a Bible. That's it. The Protestant pulpit and the Bible. And of course we'll have a cruise. We'll have a cross. We'll have a cross. Everything God wants you to know about life in Him is in the text. Preaching all of a sudden took center stage, not the mass. Jesus and salvation were in the Word. All God provides for His people was simply supplied in the preaching of the Word. The Word proclaimed, explained, understood, believed in the heart and mind, and applied to one's life. That was it. That's Christianity. This gospel revolution finally made its way to England where King Henry VIII embraced it for his own political reasons and purposes, not spiritual ones. But his daughter Mary Tudor didn't take kindly to this. And listen, please, this is what I want to make a point. When eventually she became Queen of England, she reinstated Catholic doctrine. And for three and a half years, she terrorized Protestants. That in a three and a half to five year period, she burned alive almost 400 Protestant ministers. Listen to one historian. Mary Tudor was the most hated queen in British history. During her five-year reign, she threw all England into chaos. Mary beheaded traitors, murdered heretics, and had pregnant women burned to death in the name of her religious fanaticism. The entire nation lived in fear of her. Make no mistake about it, the historian says. The burning of somebody at the stake is very nasty business. It takes a long time to die. The smell of human burning fat would have been overpowering. In those three and a half years, 300 were burnt alive. Which is actually more than the Spanish and the French Inquisition put together. Thousands fled into hiding and the streets of English cities were polluted with the putrid smell of burning flesh. She created such a terror that she was known as Bloody Mary. More Christians came to genuine faith in those five years than all the years that her father was the king of England. You cannot stop the gospel. Please understand something. That's what Christianity is. You cannot stop the message. 
Our text today in Luke in, in Acts chapter 12 is about you cannot stop the message. We cannot get caught up in Peter getting delivered out of a jail cell. It's all part of not stopping the message. It's not about a king who was eaten by worms. It's all the highlight. You cannot stop the message. It's not about anything else that you cannot. Do you know that you are on the greatest winning team ever? But this is a winning team that always looks like it's losing. We're a rag tear. Everybody laughs at us. They mock us, the Christians. They sing their songs. They got their Bible. They think we're nuts. But we're the winners. We win. We won. But it always looks like we're losing. I emphasize that because it's so easy by cunning men to go into the scriptures and take something out and fabricate something that becomes another distraction. And I'll get that into more in my application. You and I don't need any distractions. My life and your life has plenty of distractions themselves. I need to live passionately for something. Do you know that? Do you know you have affections? Do you know that passion for life? You know what it's meant for? God. You can be passionate for things. I'm passionate for my hobbies. I like to do things. But I cannot allow anything to be more, become a distraction for the passion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is about Christ. Your whole life and every interpersonal relationship you're in, whether you like it or not, is about Christ. Can you accept that? Can you accept that everything that comes into your life is to make you and I a better Christian witness for Christ? When you understand that, every situation in your life, whether negative or positive, has meaning to it. That God is doing something. Let me give you a fast application before I go in. Until the propagation of this message of Jesus Christ is a priority in your life and my life, okay? You and I will always struggle with lesser things. Everything will be a problem. Oh, this and that. Oh, oh. Everything's a problem. But when you have your priorities set right and to realize I am nothing but a vessel on this earth to showcase the glory Christ, and in the interim, God gives me, blesses me with things, praise God, But my life and your life is for one sole purpose, is to bring God glory. And we do that through the gospel. I'll explain at the end what that means. I'll I'll give a little animation to what it means to live for the gospel. Whether we are teachers, firemen, cops, businessmen, businesswomen, whether we're students, maybe we're retired in life now. It's the word of salvation that brings meaning to our lives. Living so others can live. Or better put, we die that others may live. Listen to what Jesus says. Even before I get into the book of Acts, even before I get into the 12th chapter, listen to what Luke says in Mark chapter 8. Do we have that, Jackie? 34 and 35. 
Almost. Bill? Okay, here we go. I'll, I'll give you a familiar text. And Jesus called the crowd to himself. He said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will live. We all have things. We all have things that are important, things that really matter. But these things, everything you're concerned about today, please listen, everything is going to pass away. This is what First Peter means when we get to First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. All grass is like, all flesh is like grass and all its glory. Do you know all your glory is just fading away? Our health is fading away. Our youth is fading away. You can gain money. You can't take it with you. You can have prestige and, pre- and power. You can't take it with you. It's glory that like flowers of the grass, the grass withers and the, f- the flower falls. But the word of the, listen, the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news. Do we have it up there? And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's the gospel. We had someone leave this church after a while because all they said is we talk about Jesus. Oh, and salvation, sorry. That's right. And salvation. <laughs> I said, what else is there? <laughs> what can I give? I got a book, I got a Bible with 66 books. That's all it's about. It's about Jesus and salvation. I got nothing else to offer you but the Bible. This is why it's important to understand. Before I even go into our text tonight, this is a little what we call hermeneutics, how you study the scriptures. Okay, there's a science to this. You just don't go any, meeny, miny, mo, and then you try to explain your own agenda. The book of Acts is about one thing the word of God, the gospel that we should die for, and you cannot stop it. I'm going to give you an overview of chapter 12, or chapter 11. I'm not going to go verse by verse. It's too much. I'm going to go conceptually, point by point. I'm going to read it as a storyline, then I'll give some application. Chapter 11 goes to teach us that after the persecution of Stephen in chapter 6 and 7, the gospel spread to the Gentile world. It left Jerusalem for the first time, and the Gentiles were flocking into the kingdom of God. And these were done by unnamed men who risked their lives for the sake of God's glory. Will you risk your reputation and your life for the sake of God's glory? I'm telling you right now. Please listen. This goes to all of us. The greatest, how can I say? If there's any way that mean you can get in the way of God's glory is worrying about your reputation. If you're worrying about what people think about you, you're going to be used very little in the kingdom of God. If you're worrying about your reputation, you're worrying about, forget it. To bring God glory, you have to count everything in life, as Paul says, as rubbish for knowing Christ my Lord. 
Many came to faith. Our text tonight returns to Jerusalem. That's where chapter 12 has taken place. This is the mother church. There has been a smoldering animosity towards Christian life there. From both Jewish religious life and the political life found in Herod the king. Also from the religious community expressed in the word, the Jews. Between the Jews and their leaders and Herod, there's this grown animosity. They've been putting up with and tolerating the Christian message. They can't take it anymore. It is now the Passover. And you know what was going on in the Passover when millions of Jews from around the known world came to Jerusalem and they were celebrating Moses and the law. Guess where the apostles were? Do you want to know where they were? Where God told them, go to the temple and proclaim the message of life. They finally had enough. They finally had enough of this religious cult that all they talk about is Jesus and salvation by grace through faith. They've had enough. Herod has had enough. He starts a persecution. He grabs some brothers. He takes James for whatever reasons we don't know and he kills them. And he's not sure how the Jewish community is going to react to this murder but guess how they reacted they were pleased the Bible says and when he saw that they were pleased he rolled up his sleeves he went after the head of the church the apostle Peter and he says now I'm really going to go at it but that's where his mistake began because little did Herod know there's a group of a bunch of Christians praying fervently for his release. But Peter has pulled smoke and mirrors in him already in chapter 5. He's gotten out of jail once before. So this time he puts 16 soldiers and two chains on him and puts him in jail until the Passover is over. He's going to wait his time. And in the interim, you've got a church that's praying fervently for him. And guess what? There's a God who hears the church's prayers. There's a God who goes and sends his angels and delivers Peter out of the hands of Herod and the Jews and returns him to his own flock. What a strategic mistake Herod made. After he's set free from the angel, he immediately seeks out other believers who are meeting in a familiar place, John Mark's mother's house. These believers are praying for the del- of his deliverance. When it happens, they don't even believe it. Oh, ye of little faith. It's like the prayer meeting. You go to a prayer meeting, but you're thinking about dinner. And everybody's praying. Come on. I've been praying for 30 years. Sometimes you drift. Sometimes your mind drifts in praying. Don't you ever know that? Yeah. Am I the only one? No. Thank you. But guess who's not drifting? God's not drifting. The miracle happened and they didn't even see it. They couldn't believe it. What a great irony. They're praying, oh, set them free. 
And then when he said free, they don't even recognize him. They don't even believe it. They think it's an angel. But Peter, he encourages them and gives some orders that he goes to a different place to find greater safety. Our story ends very simply with the destruction of both the gods who thought they could actually stop the gospel by imprisoning the minister. Can you imagine that? Let's put Peter in jail and it'll all stop. Little do they know that you cannot stop God. You cannot. We need to know you cannot. Do you really believe you cannot stop God? Be careful. Self-incriminating, I'm going to tell you right now. If you believe it, you tell everybody about God. If you truly believe that, and I hope it's growing in you, then you wouldn't care about you wouldn't care about your reputation. You wouldn't care about what people thought. You wouldn't care about the hostilities. You wouldn't care about politics. You would, you would just simply tell people before you die, you need to be saved. You need to be redeemed. You have to get right with God. We'll talk a little more about that when it comes to application. But the gods die, and then the next one who died was Herod, who actually thought he was God. You can't get in the way of God. Don't ever take the place of God because that's going to be the end of everybody. We got this great king. Herod was a great king. He had a great palace. He actually did a lot of good things. He was actually a religious man. But when the praise came, he didn't get out of the way. Pride always goes before the fall. God will not put up with this kind of stuff. If anybody, any king, any nation, any army gets before the gospel they will fall. They tried to stamp out, in the late 1800s, stamp out Christianity out of China. There's more Christians, there's more revival in China than anywhere else in the world. And there's not one open air meeting. It's all done underground. You cannot stop the spread of the gospel. Communism cannot do it. Mary Tudor, Bloody Mary could not do it. America can't do it. Our family can't do it. Our friends can't do it. The most hostile to the gospel cannot stop it. So don't take it personal. Simply put on a happy face and go to the next town and tell somebody else about Jesus. When they persecuted Paul in one town, guess what he did? Kicked off the dust, went to the next town. Tell somebody else. Listen to the way Isaiah says it in Isaiah 55. The word continues to do what God says it will do. Listen to Isaiah. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it to bring forth and sprout seed, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish whether prisons, whether murder, whether threats, whether fear, it will accomplish that which I have purposed. You're on a team, you've got a message that cannot fail. It cannot fail. Talking to people about Jesus cannot fail. One of the best places I like to go and talk about Christ is very hard, is to hospice. In hospice, they do a great job. 
It's the best an earthly institution can do. But it's death everywhere. Everywhere. And when I first started doing that kind of work, I'd be timid. Then I'd whisper. Then I'd pray for you. I was afraid of death, not man. No more. You go to hospitals, you go in with your Bible filled in your heart, and you go to somebody and say, I'm here to offer you eternal life. There is hope beyond the grave. You can look at someone with their last breath in their lungs and you can give them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever we go, we bring hope and we bring life. We do not bow the knee to the fear of man or to the fear of death. We bring the gospel because it brings life in every situation. You cannot stop the purposes of God. You cannot stop it. We need to believe it, hold on to it, let it live in our heart. And no matter what the world does when it persecutes us, it brings life. Now, I chose to do this chapter differently because it's a lot of work. And I want to make a point that it's not about prison breaks. And it's not about a king getting eaten by worms. Pride cannot get in the way of God. It all serves a purpose. The word of God continued to grow. I want you to go home tonight. I want you to read chapter 12 again. And the most important thing about it is verse 24. The word of God continued to grow. The word of God, without a sword, it continued to grow. Without an army, it continued to grow. Without a threat, it continued to grow. It continues to grow today. We don't have to threaten people. We don't have to use manipulations. We don't have to use threats. All we have to do is proclaim Jesus to people. Our text is absolutely filled with application. I've been trying to make that point as we go along. Nothing could be more pleasing to me when to see people who are so confident in the message of Jesus Christ. Nothing. It is wonderful. You should leave here. I want you to leave here week in and week out a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more with nothing more than the confidence that the word of God continues to increase. And no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter how deep your message is or how simple it is, once I was blind and now I see, you can't stop the word of God. Share Jesus with other people. It will continue to grow. And that's why I started off, we are on a winning team. It's the church. It always looks like it's losing. It always looked like we're just a ragtag bunch of people coming together. You know, they're, they're looking for something. People come in here, the hostile unbeliever or the religious person comes in and says, well, I don't see any. Where's God? I had a guy tell me that once. He goes, there's, there's nothing there. You should have a little this and a little that. I said, but it's in the preaching of the word. I said, it's not the church that's wrong. I said, you got no faith. You can't see Christ. There's a simple principle that, that Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 3. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing in faith? It's a simple message. You hear it, you apply it, your life changes. 
And I say it again, I love this about what God did to me when I came to church that day and I got saved. All I know is I didn't have this thunderbolt experience. I, I wasn't knocked down. I, I, I just remember leaving, someone handed me a Bible and I, I just knew that my sins are forgiven, Jesus is God and the Bible is real. Those three thoughts were never in my life before. I was a Catholic for 30 years. I never thought about the Bible being real. I never thought about Jesus being God and I didn't really care about my sins being forgiven. But from that moment on, all I was concerned about is my sins are forgiven, Jesus is God, and the Bible is real. And nothing's changed. But you know something I'm afraid as a pastor that many Christians miss out on one of the most fulfilling experiences. When we make make church and when we make Christianity more than just the word of God, and we start wanting our expectations of what God should do, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're really setting ourselves up for failure. It's not about God getting on our team. It's about us getting on his team. It's about trading all my glory. Remember, our glory is going to fade away. All my dreams, not about my dreams, my hopes and expectations. You've got to leave them at the door. Every time you come to church service, every time you come to a prayer meeting, every time you go to a Bible study, we leave more of our hopes and dreams at the door. And we take more of on what really matters, the Word of God. And that's what I want to talk about. What does that mean? I shared a couple of weeks ago, the Word of God means this. We're about the Word. We proclaim the message of Christ. We explain it in its historical context. We understand it. We believe in our heart and mind and we apply it to our life. What does that mean? It means I become more like Christ. And I take on the same passion and desire that filled his heart. Other people. Other people. If you are into the word of God, or I should say better, if it's in your life, it is about other people. Not about my hopes, not about my dreams. I need to leave my pride at the door. I need God to crush the inner man so I can become more like Christ and to realize that every interpersonal relationship I am in is, in, is for the glory of God. When you adopt that, your life every day has meaning to it. It has purpose to it. You could be, go out, you can make a, a trillion dollars but you're leading people to Christ. You're sharing the message. You're bringing glory to God. Or as I said before, the fear of what people think about us. I'm going to say this, and I'll explain it. Who cares? But we, are, we have a lot of fear of man. We do. We do. It's, it's natural. Please, so don't, you're not looking at some... I'm not, I'm not a superhero up here. I overcome the fear of man by loving Jesus and staying close to him. And sometimes I talk to people about Christ with my knees shaking. You'll never know it. But I'm doing it because I love God and I love people. And we share Christ. Amen. The second thing I want to talk about in this text is God's providence. How many heard about God's providence? Do you like it? Do you like that one apostle dies and one gets freed? You want to try to explain it? 
Did anybody pray for James? Doesn't look like it. Was the church fervently praying for Peter? God answered that prayer because of prayer. Because they were fervently praying for Peter. You can't miss it in the text. God's providence allows one apostle, the first apostle to die for the faith, and he allows the other apostle to go free. Miraculously. The application comes to us in a question. Are you ready? Can you accept God's outworkings of his will in your life? Can you accept that not everything's going to turn out good? That's the application. If you cannot accept what seems like the unacceptable, because God is a Coke machine, right? I came to church, I paid my tithe. Life should be easy, right? If you cannot accept God's ways, you're going to find yourself in a constant state of anxiety. To some degree over all circumstances of life. In many circumstances, you might be tight. In other circumstances, you might be shaky. The Lord giveth then. Can you live with that truth? How many people like to hear that the Lord giveth? How many people want to hear that he might taketh awayeth? I like the King James Version when you're trying to make a point. The King James Version with a Brooklyn accent goes a long way. The Lord giveth and he taketh away. But that's what's applied here. How do we deal with the circumstances like that? But if you really can accept God's providence, whatever brings into our life, doesn't mean we don't fervently pray, but if it doesn't work out the way we would like to or the way we thought it should, but we still trust in him. Your life won't be characterized by anxiety. It'll be characterized by peace, joy, and hope. And no matter what happens, I'm still going to love people. Because love believes the best. Love never fails. So no matter what happens, it's not going to hurt my interpersonal relationships. I don't quit on God because God you know, didn't pull through for me. I'm still going to go out and I'm still going to carry the message. And I'm going to still love the sinner. I'm going to still love those who persecute me. I'm still going to turn my cheek. It makes no difference. I'm still going to go out happy because why? God is in full control. This brings us to a third application, prayer. This is not just any prayer found in our text tonight. It's called earnest or fervent prayer. Fervent is a, is a strange Greek word. It actually means to reach, trying to reach up as high as you can. It's like trying to get something out of the cabinet. You ever dare? You, you're on your tippy toes and you're trying to, trying to reach. You have to get it. And they were all in one accord. They were like, Peter! We need, he's, the, he's the head of the church. We, we lost James and they were crying out. They wanted to touch the heart of God. God answered fervent prayer. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This isn't, oh, let's get together and pray. Oh, nothing happened. I'll ask you this. Do you want fervent prayer in your life?
comes at a price, you know. You see, their backs were to the wall. Persecution broke out. They killed James with the sword. They locked up other brothers. They took Peter. The life of this little church is over. And it brought them in solidarity at a need. Fervent prayer. Nothing else mattered. There are times that life comes that nothing else matters. It doesn't mean it could, be, it could be a corporate thing for the church or it could be a personal thing in life. Many times I find myself out, I'm on the floor and I'm, I'm, I'm tears in my eyes because I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what tomorrow might bring. I'm petrified. And all I have is God's kindness. And then to end that prayer, not my will, but thy will. You heard me, God. You heard Brian Martin's will. You heard my tears, my burdens, my fears, my anxieties. My face is contorted in prayers. I'm trying to reach out in fervent prayer to you, not knowing if you're going to answer me, but yet at least you know what's going on in my life. But thy will be done. This is when real life presses against you. There's more to this than meets the eye. This kind of prayer is seen throughout the Bible at times of persecution. Are you familiar with Luke 18 and the prayer of the persistent widow? Well, if you're not too familiar with that text, and if you have this, this woman that goes to a judge, she has, she has no money, he's looking for a bribe, she's old, she's a widow, she has no one to defend her, and she's fervently crying out with prayer, and her only weapon is that she's a nagging old lady. Through persistence, she nags the guy to death. And guess what? He answered her prayer. And what does Jesus say? When the Son of Man returns, will he find such faith on the earth? But do you know what the context of Luke 18 is? The end times of persecution. Do you know we see a smoldering hostility taking place in America today? Do you know that? Do you know that there is a smoldering hatred between the political and religious parties in America, the liberal religious people that want to claim God but hate the Bible, and the political climate we're in? Guess who it is they're persecuting? Christians. Right now only intellectually, but it will go further than that. It might not be for many years, but we strategically, I want you to know, we strategically pray every Thursday night in that little back room. Because we see the dark clouds coming. How many people know the end is near? Don't raise your hand. It's self-incriminating. How many people really believe the end is near? If you do, and you are not praying... This is what it means. When Jesus returns, will he find such faith? 
If you truly and I truly believe that something's going on that's not good, it's ominous, the dark dark clouds are here, we're not called to complain about it, we're called to pray. Pray fervently and we'll see miracles happen. Because the word of God will increase. I want to talk about this before I close and that's passion. I'm going to tell you I'm excited. I'm excited what's going on Monday night. Very excited. Because I'm teaching almost over 25 years. And when I see 16, 18 men in a small room in the back, clamoring around the word of God, I'm excited. We have to be passionate about the word of God. The word of God is not a loose optional The word of God is mandatory. It's essential. But please understand this. This is not about God wants no one in this room, especially me, to be guilty over having a hard time reading the Bible. Don't, 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 that's Satan. Get around people who are. That's all. Get in the church that really supports the Word of God and elevates the Word of God, has a high view of the Word of God. Get in the Bible study that has a high view of the Word of God. Get in a woman's Bible study that has a high uh, view of the Word of God. Come to Bible study that has a high view of the Word of God. Come and say, teach me. That's what the disciples said. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. We don't know. We watch you pray, Jesus. I've seen John the Baptist and his disciples praying, and I've seen the Pharisees. But you pray differently, Jesus. You pray like... You pray like you're talking to God as your father who gives good gifts. The apostles were excited about the word of God. When you're excited about the word of God, please hear me. Our lives become very small. Our problems become very small. Our concerns become very small. Life becomes simple. And I got a single-minded devotion to God. All I want is to be used by God in other people's lives. And I'll share one more thing and I'll close. Getting out of jail, that's some miracle. And you would think, if that was still going on, people would be getting out of jail left and right. And you would think, well, you know something, where are these miracles taking place? You know, God's still in the business of answering prayer. I have a good friend of mine, I was able to lead him to Christ. National drug deal. Sold drugs throughout the United States. Shipped drugs all over the country with three other guys. He gave it up. He got saved. Gave his life to Christ. Ten years later, he got a phone call. His three other friends are doing, just got arrested. One's doing 21 years. One's doing 17. The other one's doing 15 years. And he's next. The difference is the other three weren't Christians. This man was a Christian man. Generally gave his heart to the Lord. And I can remember him telling me, I, I felt sick. Mm-hmm. He now has four children and a wife. And he's sitting there, he lost like 30 pounds in a month. 
He's white as a ghost. And what do you say? I just remember a bunch of us praying, and we prayed, and we prayed. And he belonged to another church, and they prayed. And, and we, we took care of everything. We took care of the finances of the home. We all got together, and we prayed. His lawyer was a Christian. The FBI agent was a Christian. It seemed that the judge could have been a Christian. And after a year and a half of torture, he got what we'd call a slap on the wrist, and he had to go to you know, a federal penitentiary for like 18 months. He got out on good behavior. So, but here's the point. God answers prayer. But I can remember when he told me that news, because I knew the other gentleman, and they were all away for a long time. There was no way he was not going to go away. But God intervened. Did he open up a jail cell with an angel? No. Did he make a way that seems to be no way? Yes. We pray and we cry and we're burdened. Fervent prayer sometimes is painful prayer. It's the attachment of our heart and soul for the care of someone else in their life. They loved Peter, just like I loved my friend. And we love one another. And I can tell you now, if anything ever happens to me, I know there's people that would offer fervent prayer for my life. And that's the important part of being part of the local church and everybody knowing who we are. So when something happens, we can offer up fervent prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father God, for the text. We thank you for prioritizing our life, God, that it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, that we should decrease, that Christ can increase, Father God, that be, we can be better witnesses of the gospel, Father God, that you give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all our interpersonal relationships, Father God, that we look past the problems of the people and realize they're just human beings created in the image of God and that we are strategically put in people's lives to hear their problems, to have empathy, to have sympathy, and then, God, by your grace, share the gospel of their salvation. Help us in this endeavor, Father God. Help us that the word of God will continue to increase at Sonship Ministries. I, I pray that the word of God continues to increase in all our lives, Father God. Father God, let us find our fulfillment, and not in the glories that are going to fade away, but in the abiding word of God by which we were saved and abides forever. Let us find our fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray.